0: Hello everybody. This is Brandy Trout. Brandy and I go way back. We've known each other for years. We met in Temple, Texas and uh, I just love her. So Brandy, you want to tell us just, you know, sketch it out.
1: Sketch it out? Like how do you do? Who are you? What are you about? Um, I live in Savannah, Georgia and Rebecca and I met in Texas. And I love Texas. The only thing that keeps me from living in Texas, I believe, is because I need ocean. And I know mm. you guys have some beaches, but they're not really my kind of beach. Yeah. Not the so, greatest. No, but I love the people in Texas and the food and just good stuff. But yeah, so I live in Savannah with my husband and my son, my daughter sometimes whenever she comes in from college. She's almost done. She graduates in May. Yahoo. Yay. I know.
0: I know that was an issue.
1: Yeah, she's 22. So she thought she was going to graduate in December and we we had to push it back by one semester. It's always that one last class. They're like, oh, whoops. Sorry about that. That happened to me. Very cool. Yes, that happened to me in college. Uh, One of our favorite professors. You and I both loved her. Donna Walker Nixon. Mary mm-hmm. Gardner, Yeah, I ended up when I went in for my graduation, uh, for them to sign off on, cause I thought I was all done. And they said, oh, you need one more senior level class. You can pick anything. And I said, are you kidding? Cause I had like way more classes than what you're supposed to have to be a graduate <laughs> and they said, nope, you need one more of the 4,000 level. And they said, pick anything. And so I saw Donna Walker Nixon was teaching creative writing. It's a senior level class in the May mini semester. So I spent the month of May with her and then I was done.
0: Yes. She was a great professor.
1: She was. She was so cute.
0: Yeah. She was.
1: She is. She still is. She and still she, pu- she published one of my pieces, I think, from that class. Uh-huh. And uh, The Baylorian.
0: Yes. <laughs> great. Okay. So because this is like, what's happening in my life currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I was involved with a married man. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like going there? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Let's do it. (laughs) So you ended up with your husband now
1: was your Mm -hmm. affair partner, right? Well, you were, you were single. Right. So we were both going through a divorce and I didn't want to date anyone, Uh, and he was also going through divorce, and we became friends um, through all of that, and he was also uh, my real estate client, so I really was trying to keep things professional, and he just kind of won me over. I don't know, and uh, we just became friends because he didn't have any friends, and he needed somebody. He had kind of a crazy situation. Uh, My divorce was amicable. We had just grown apart because he was in the military and he was gone all the time. Uh, So it's really hard on a military spouse. I think they're probably the least recognized member of the military is the military spouse. Not that I need any credit, but I feel like that's a super hard job to do because you are um, loyal to someone who's gone and you're responsible for everything and carrying the weight of the household whenever that wasn't really the plan when you marry someone and you have kids. And then all of a sudden you're, you're basically a single parent. And, um, then when the person comes back after being gone for a year, they're a different person and you're kind of a different person because you have to grow yeah. up a lot, yeah. as a, you know, as a single parent, people can relate to that. And, um, you know, it, it's not just like, oh, you're a single parent. You, you also care about someone who's in a war zone. So. You know, our grandparents did it, you know, World War II, and it's unimaginable, the the worries that they had. But yeah, well, he and I just grew apart, and we were just living as roommates, really. And it was really apparent to me, when the, the turning point for me that Matt and I weren't going to make it was whenever I would go to the wife meetings, they have like military spouse meetings that you are almost like mandatory, required to go to, and when I would go... I was really going for information because i didn't really know what was going on with him wherever he was and you were my friend when he was deployed in texas yeah. if you remember
0: yeah.
1: and you don't know what's going on so i would go to the meetings just so i could kind of hear like any kind of feedback anybody was hearing about what was going on over there and they would all talk about all the phone calls they were getting and the letters and they the spouses the wives were talking about all the communications they received and I was like, man, I don't hear from mine at all. <laughs> and I remember one time and I, you know, I tried not to give him a hard time, but one time when we lived in Georgia, uh, probably the last deployment before, you know, I just knew we weren't going to stay together. He, he finally called me one day and I, I was getting kind of annoyed because everybody was talking about all these phone calls they were getting, and I said, Hey, do you not have access to a phone where you're at? Because all of these spouses are talking about their phone calls and how they get a phone call almost every day. And I only hear from you like once every three, four weeks. Are you in a different area from them? Cause it's weird because I'm going to the spouse meeting. Like these are supposed to be the people that you're working with. And he said, yeah, you can call, but it's a really long line. And you really don't expect me to sit in that line. Do you? <laughs> and I thought, Oh, so they are standing in a line to talk to their spouse, but you don't want to. Cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Wow.
1: Yeah. So I think I think that kind of pushed me away. And that may have been something that he was doing just so maybe he didn't miss home so much or miss me. But um, it definitely pushed us apart, I think. Did he, um, he never explain that to you? Like you never got a, got a
0: better understanding of why that was happening?
1: No. And I would say as far as like – sensitivity to feelings was not like his strong suit. Uh, okay. So that was fine. I mean, honestly, I just realized like every time he would come home from a deployment, he was kind of a different person and I was kind of a different person. And then we'd learn how to like live together again yeah. and then he would deploy again. And then he'd come back a different person and I was a different person. And then he would deploy again and it would almost get to the point, and this sounds horrible, but I mean, it is what it is when they would come home like you wanted to be excited they were coming home, but you knew they were going to kind of like be in your space because you get used to having your own space. And, and be so strangers, they- essentially. I mean. Obviously. Right. And then all of a sudden, like his clothes are everywhere and his leftover <laughs> cup from his drink is still sitting on the table. And, you know, like. Just- <laughs> and you're missing the emotional attachment piece because he hasn't been there. And right. Yeah. We need that yeah and so and i i like to be alone I, I, so so anyway so he and i just had grown apart so we were amicable for the most part um and i didn't want to date and i knew if i dated someone it would it would offend him or, or hurt his feelings And I, I had no desire to date but uh yeah so i became really good friends with my now husband and he was still married but separated um and it just turned into a, a huge drama so it it definitely um, was not fun. If I had chosen something easier, like, I don't know, staying single, (laughs) that would have been easier. And um, if I had probably chosen to date anyone else, it would have been an easier transition to a second marriage. I didn't want to be married again. I was happy to stay single for the rest of my life, but did not want to be in a relationship. And it just, he kind of like made me fall in love with him. I don't know. So I, I, was there for him. I felt like he needed me and I kind of helped him through that, but I was definitely attacked. I went through hell cause his, his wife was I remember very unhappy. I remember. Yeah. It was, I mean, it, when I talk about it, which I don't very often cause I try not to even remember it, but it, it was pretty bad. Like we had people like parking in my yard with cameras at my house. She ran me off the road a couple of times. She threw bricks at a window at an office I was working at. My daughter was playing Polly Pockets right below the window. Uh, So, I mean, really kind of like violent outbursts. She was really upset with him. And um, I, I realize now in the maturity that I have, you know, years and years later, that she was acting out on aggravation that she had with him, but she was acting it out towards me. Um, because I was like the person that you have a relationship with. We're easy targets. The other mm-hmm. women are easy targets. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I was already kind of desensitized to that just from growing up, um, in the environment I grew up in. My household was really great. My parents were very good to me, but you know, I grew up in a ballet environment, which, you're a little bit brainwashed because you think that criticism is a compliment, which I kind of still think like that, but whenever, you know, the director would walk through and we would be doing whatever bar exercise, if the the choreographer or the director noticed that your turnout wasn't the way they wanted it, or if they wanted your leg higher or lower and they were going to critique your form when they touched your leg and moved it, or they, you know, did whatever they did when they walked away, you were, you were like, oh my, they noticed me. What a compliment. Like they, out of out of oh like the, the 20 girls in the room at the bar, they corrected my leg. That's a compliment. And it was negative attention. Right. But to us, we, we were like, oh wow, she corrected my leg. She corrected my turnout. Like she wants me to be better. And so I kind of grew up with that kind of mindset. So I wasn't very sensitive to criticism, I guess, because for, for me, it was kind of like a backwards interpretation of criticism. And then in high school, you know, I was captain of the cheerleaders and, you know, I went to a small school, but I I wouldn't say that we had like a popular and unpopular crowd, but I had a lot of friends, but there were definitely mean girls. And sometimes the mean girls were people who I was was really close to. So it was hurtful. And um, in college, I didn't experience that as much, but, you know, you kind of get used to that. Like you you know, you're not ugly. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Is there a nicer reason? Say- I mean, I wasn't the most attractive person in the room, but I definitely wasn't like a person. Um, if, if you are an attractive person, you're a target. Yeah. And that that is sometimes something that I think will really tear people down and make them insecure. So I don't know. Being- I do feel
0: like it's shifting though. It, it doesn't feel as intense to me the the unattractive versus trap attractive attractive whatever the fuck that means
1: well, right it, it is I think society is more accepting of body types and yes um, like and, people, and, people and are respect. like more accepting of themselves and diversity you know but I mean in high school I was like the blonde and I'd been in ballet and you know cheer yep. time so I was in really good shape and so I, I was a cute girl Um, but that's a target for other people to be mean to. And I did encounter some of that. And I think some of the military wife things I went to when I was married to Matt, some of that, you know, they see you walk in the room and if they don't like the way you look, whether it's, whether Mm. you look too good or too bad, they're going to treat you a certain way. They're going to judge you. But I think I I was kind of desensitized to that. But so I was pretty mature for the age I was, because I was married really young. And so... I married before I was 21. So whenever we would go anywhere, I was interpreted as um, older than what I was because people assumed I was older because I was kind of making life decisions and taking on responsibilities that someone a little bit older would. So, and I worked all through college. I think that makes you kind of a different person as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we've got to earn it. And I was spoiled growing up. I mean, my parents didn't like spoil us rotten, but my parents provided for us and gave us everything that we needed. So I think as far as having to earn your own keep and all that, some of those foundations were set for me and then others weren't. So I think all of that kind of desensitized you a little bit to, um, you know, what other people think and how important that is to you. And I definitely think early 20s or my late teens like I definitely did not value what other people thought unless I saw them as like a life mentor or somebody that I cared what they thought about me but as far as like a peer maybe not so much
0: well going back to this like idea that there are attractive versus unattractive people yeah um I I someone someone commented the other day on some dude said something about how good looking I was. And I said, that is the least interesting thing about me. Like I can't do anything about my face. Mm -hmm. You know, it is what God gave me. And in our society, we judge things attractive versus unattractive, which Mm -hmm. is total bullshit because beauty lies in the eye of the beholder and that's Mm -hmm. how it should be like across the board. But we forget that as women. Because mm-hmm. we get so caught up in appearances. I I don't anymore, actually. I'm so thankful. I can't even remember feeling that way. Yeah. Now yeah. I just look at people like, and I just want to know their soul.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, high five on how you did your makeup today. Like, you look great. Yeah. <laughs> but-, yeah. but also too, I think for me, my love language is acts of service. Have you done that quiz? The Gary mm-hmm. Chapman? So mm-hmm. my, my primary language is acts of service. So for me, like I was not physically attracted to my husband. Now uh, I was more like mentally attracted to him and emotionally attracted to him. And I think any like really long-term quality relationship I've had, that has been most important to me was that attraction, not the physical attraction. Cause I felt like the physical attraction came after that. And so I'm more attracted to their character traits and what they kind of bring to the table. As far as that's concerned, what kind of spirit do they have? Uh, I'm really attracted to generous spirits. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really like acts of service. <laughs> it's definitely my favorite love language, but that makes someone more attractive to me. Uh, and so when I, when I see people performing actions or, or serving in a way, to me, that's a very attractive thing so you know like for instance my, my my son's educators the teachers at his school are amazing and they're so kind and you know i'm not a, a very emotional person but at his first day of school when we switched schools his very first day of school Everybody kept coming up to me and they kept saying, oh, you're Rockets mom, you're Rockets mom, we're so glad we're, he's here, we, we intentionally prayed for him this morning, we, we really want him to have a good year and feel welcome, hey, can he be on our soccer team, and uh, oh, what extracurriculars have we signed him up for, is he going to be in art with my son, is he going to be in this and that, and it felt so inclusive. And that was something that he did not have at his last school. He went there for three years and for three years, he went there and wasn't invited to a single birthday party. And he'd come home with like pinches all over him and they were phys- the children were physically abusing him a little bit. And he would say to me, he'd say, mom, I just wish I felt included. And it would, it would break your heart as a parent. Like, why wouldn't they include my kid? He's fun. He's cool. Like, what's the problem? Um, you know, he's a little bit different, but we are all a little Different, you know? yeah, yeah, sure. and so <laughs> thank just, God, yeah, I know it'd be so boring otherwise. And so I was like, man, this is a cool kid. Why are these kids being so mean to him? And it just he just didn't fit in there. And so we found this new school, and these these teachers and the parents in the school were so kind. I actually had like tears come in my eyes uh, as I was walking out of the hallway, and I, I couldn't even like form words because I was so touched. Yes by how these people were so kind. They don't know us, we're brand new. I mean, we, we did the interview with the headmaster and they found a spot for him, thank goodness, and they accepted him in the school. But these are total strangers. They just saw that there was a new kid listed on their class. They only, they limit it to 18 kids per grade. So it's really tiny. And they all saw they had a new student and they were so excited about it. And they all purposely sought me out in the parent meeting on the first day and said such kind things to me and were already doing kind actions. And I just fell in love with them. So to, to me, I guess that is a form of acts of service. So, you know, I mean, it's just like, wow, these people are beautiful from the inside out. Like I'm in, I'm sold, like love the school. And all I needed was. Okay. A- so
0: I uh, just listened to this podcast the other day about somatic healing, like people that are healing from their trauma mm-hmm. and calming their nervous system. And. When you do that as a leader, you change the whole temperature of the institution underneath you. The vibe. And yes, mm-hmm. exactly. It changes the whole vibe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like um, an aura, like the aura, like what people say, yes. like you kind of give that off. Yeah. Yes. I think certain people are more sensitive to than others. Huge difference. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when
0: I was searching for schools with Brady and Graham, you know, New Orleans is all about private schools everybody told me that um, you would know, you're gonna know when you walk into the school, you're gonna know whether that's where your kid belongs or not. And that was true almost every time, you could mm-hmm. tell.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, And no, I mean, no shade on other schools that I didn't feel right at, it just meant that, that that wasn't right for us, right? Right. And that's like such a huge lesson to learn in life, like what is for you and what isn't for you, right? And it-
1: and if you start feeling those bad vibrations, if you are given the gift to have feel have felt that on any situation where you've changed your mind and said, mm, maybe this isn't for me. Just take a step back. Might be fine, but just not the right choice for me right now. That is such a gift to, yeah, to put that warning. It really is. Yeah, because we, it changes everything. Mm-hmm. It changes yeah. everything. There's this
0: dude that I was texting with on this dating app. And I don't know if you listen to my TikTok, but when I get the word no, like I get my nose gets real, like, like it just like pressure in my nose. And I did, I learned this in a meditation.
1: So he said no "No." to you and you started saying
0: no. My body was telling me no. Oh, My body was telling me, fuck no, stop, (laughs) stop communicating with this man. But I was so thankful that I listened to that. You know, I'm like, why, why do I want to pursue that anymore? I already know my body. I already trust that it's telling me what, what I should and shouldn't be getting into. Not attracted. Yeah. Yeah. If we just pause and pay attention. Yeah. Huh. But I'm such a hippie like that. Like, I really do believe like we have all the answers within ourselves.
1: Yeah. So why'd you ask me about the, the dating the married guy? So is, um, so is he, is he getting a divorce or no? He, oh, like, so you have not watched my TikToks. You have no idea what's happening. So my husband watched your, he watched your thing and he said, have you watched Rebecca's? And I was like, I kind of watched like pieces of it when I'm driving. <laughs> so oh, uh, So I ended it on Monday. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. All
0: last week. I was, we've, we've gone back and forth about whether we should be in touch or not. He, mm-hmm. he always said by the end of the year, he would end it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would I would just stay in this hopeful zone, like surely he'll leave before that. Surely he is miserable enough to leave. Mm-hmm. Or misses me enough to leave, or whatever it is, right? So I was just like holding out hope and uh but I was making myself sick. And so I did that meditation, and every time I thought about him, my nose would get all weird and I was like, I gotta let him go. I'm making myself sick. Yeah. I was in, i felt totally released when i made that decision like this blanket had been lifted and i wasn't under this cloud of like anxiety and i love you y'all have fun sorry that's my my son brady and his friends
1: he's so Um, big it's crazy
0: i know (laughs) no he's the best uh but I lived under this this cloud just of anxiety, and I was like, if I love myself at all, I have to walk away. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. And
1: you don't you don't really want him to leave because of you. He should be leaving because he had already made up his mind to leave, or he was miserable in that relationship, so he should have leave because of that. He shouldn't leave because of you. And the the exactly. new options that are there, even though. Yeah, that's a compliment, but because of the kind of person you are, you don't, you're not going to want that. Like no. you're you're going to want him to separate from that relationship because of whatever existed there. That was the problem.
0: A thousand and, percent.
1: Right. And then you're separate from that. Yeah. So hang on. I got to
0: talk to my son real quick. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hopefully it didn't re- just erase everything we just did. I don't
1: know. You have to teach me how to do this. <laughs>
0: Really not, um,
1: but yeah. So you don't want him to leave because of you. You you no, want him to leave because no. he had a problem. Yes, um, exactly. I guess, you know that was kind of like where we, where my husband when he when he and I started. You know, I guess like evolving into like dating. I don't. I didn't plan that at all. I did not want that. And he one day said to me, he said, "I I've fallen in love with you," and. I know that's not what you wanted or what the plan was, but don't really know what to do about it. <laughs> and of course, that like tugs on your heart and we were already very close. Um, and it just kind of evolved into something where we kind of like fulfilled a need where we each needed someone, you know, uh, on different times more than others, you know, depending on, you know, who, who needed what. But, you know, going through a divorce isn't fun. And so it is nice to have somebody you can talk to about it. And I I didn't really share all of the details with people I was close to. Um, I had some friends who were there for me. But I would say, too, you know, when I got married, again, many of my close friends didn't want me to marry my husband. No. And they said, could you make a better choice, someone who would bring less drama into your life? Because they saw what his ex-wife had done to me and attacked, you know – you know, on multiple levels, reputation and, you know, all, all kinds of other stuff. And just really kind of brought a lot of crazy into our lives at that time. So that was something that my, I think my close friends who cared, you know, and knew more than others just really didn't want me to have to continue to endure that. Um, and the, one of my friends <laughs> who is, um, we're not very close anymore, but she made the comment to me, why would you want to marry someone that old? He's going to be so old. <laughs> he's 16 years older than me so uh she said one day you're gonna realize that you're gonna remember that i said this to you <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh that's so mean you know like he's fine you know i was like he's incredibly immature we're fine yeah but um <laughs> you know it's true so you know, sometimes you match up with people you know not purposely but yeah that's well i'm proud of you for for separating from that and I I hope it doesn't. It's really fucking hard. Yeah. It's really hard. But when you're in
0: that and you know, he's telling me one thing and then she's posting pictures of them having like a family golf day. And while he's simultaneously texting me, I love you. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I, I can't do this. I don't know how you are able to do this. Right. But it's really sick. Yeah. And, uh, You know even he he said she knows she knows okay well i have no proof of that but and also so what if she knows she's obviously holding on to the marriage and it's Mm -hmm. awful to know from the other side or to hear his story from the other side whatever that looks like knowing this woman is suffering so badly Mm -hmm. if she does indeed know
1: I mean, you're you're not this person, but there are people out there that actually enjoy being the other person in the relationship. Like they specifically go out and look for relationships like that just to like twist and mess with people. So this situation- are you are you being serious right now?
0: Yeah, is that a thing? Do you know somebody that does that?
1: Yeah. I mean, not my friend. Are you talking about women that specifically fuck with married men? Yes. Did you not know about that website called Ashley Madison? I actually have a friend that that's her name and she is not that person. But there there was a website called Ashley Madison and it was-
0: I know Ashley Madison.
1: Yeah. So they would look for married men to like hook up with or married people to hook up with. Right. But I thought the women
0: were married too. So it was like this whole secretive thing.
1: Yeah, but I think some people just do it for like some kind of twisted satisfaction.
0: I don't know. If you're also married, it makes sense to me if you want to have a, an affair to find someone that's also married.
1: Yeah. That makes sense to me. That that's like to- a dating site that for married way people. Way too many people involved in that relationship. That's why I never- It's so <laughs> fucked up. It is so <laughs> fucked up. But
0: this is how much we hold on to our ideas of what we think our life is supposed to look like, that we stay un- unhappily married because we don't want to go through the pain of divorce and the public shame and the embarrassment and having to start over all the shit right we're just like not brave enough not strong enough whatever we tell ourselves so we just it's easier in our brains to yeah. step out and get sex somewhere else maybe that's all they're looking for is sex maybe that sounds yeah. awfully boring to me though surely there's more to that than just no, sex.
1: i think those people they enjoy they enjoy the drama you know, people who enjoy drama,
0: the, the secrecy and the,
1: yeah, it's like enticing to them. That is so unattractive to me. Like that's, that was was like, so I was kind of accused of all that, you know, because he was still like, it took him like four years to get a divorce. So it was out. So I was accused of like everything under the sun and, you know, and then I would like share something with like friends or what have you. And it would, it would just like would not come out right. And it would sound like so much worse than what it was. And um, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of misconception about what people are doing. You just don't really know. But yeah, so the, the, the people who are twisting, and you know, and I have been on the other side, I've been cheated on, and that's not fun at all. And then when someone does cheat on you, you know, you have too, you know, you think about, and you and I, you and I are kind of like alpha, so we're not the kind of girl you cheat on. Like what kind of, no, it's the a
0: deception. I don't understand the deception piece of it.
1: I, yeah, it's, I think that that potentially is like a mental thing. And I, I don't know. Cause I'm not any kind of, I mean, a D in psychology. So that is what that is. But I, I, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're way more advanced in that area than I am, but it's when it happens, I think the initial shock is, I, you know, I don't, well, I didn't blame myself, but I thought, what in the heck? Like, I'm so confused. I'm not the kind of person you would cheat on. Like, <laughs> like what is wrong with you? Yes. <laughs> like like yes. I, I always thought until it happened, I guess I always thought someone who had a dishonest or you know, deceitful spouse or a partner in a relationship maybe was someone who was naive or, um, maybe somebody who was just like, you know, not fun or, you know, insecure. Like, I guess in my head, I had these misconceptions of what
0: Mm -hmm. a a victim is.
1: And if you're cheated on, you are a victim. And I mean, it's dishonesty in a committed relationship. So I think that that was my first reaction was like, wait, I'm not insecure. I'm not a victim. I'm not, you know, disengaged. So why would this happen to me? But I think that's also people blame themselves. So we we are our own worst critics. So you're immediately going, well, what did I do wrong to bring this on or whatever? Right. He didn't do anything. To it's it on. their junk. Totally their junk. Yeah. Yes. It's totally on them. has nothing to do with his wife. Nothing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, then you kind of feel bad for the other person because you're like, well, that person's probably got all this stuff going through their head and it, they didn't bring this on themselves at all. I mean. I know. Yeah. So who knows? And who knows?
0: and as a woman in this position, women don't understand it. You know, I, I lost my best friend over this. She did not understand how I could do that to another woman.
1: Well, you're very and, honest. So you share information without fear of judgment, or if you have fear of judgment, you don't put that out there because you're so raw.
0: I have no fear of judgment. Right. <laughs> I could give two shits what anybody thinks about me right I because I have to live with myself that's my number one priority
1: right and you should care more about what you think than anybody else maybe your kids but I mean like you you are an authentic person and so I think right. that is that's also really intimidating to people so that's thing I was talking about with like you know the mean girl symptom if you or I walk into a room someone is intimidated yes yeah and it's not any fault of yours no you're just a super fabulous person I'm not okay but didn't you try to make hmm? didn't you try to make yourself smaller
0: because you knew people were intimidated didn't you just kind of like shrink a little bit before you I do that I do
1: that every day don't you do that every day yeah
0: I don't anymore fuck no
1: well I have to with my employees um it's just the dynamic they, they get the people are so sensitive and they get intimidated and they, and they create in their head a persona of who they interpret you to be. Right. And you can be fair and honest and forthright and the very best boss you could be, but the minute they need something else, you're their enemy. And, and so I feel like that is, and you've been in that position, you know, but th- that I I do shrink myself and my personality and I also have to hold back all of my thoughts because, and I'd say that comes with maturity. Maybe I didn't do that back in the past, but there's just certain things you can't say even though you're thinking them and maybe the person does need to hear them, but maybe not the right time, right place, but that you can't say everything you want to say because they may not emotionally be able to handle the truth.
0: You know, yeah, so I'm not great at that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean you and I, you and I are like basically like very, very similar. <laughs> and we, yeah. we have proof because we took all the personality tests. That's what we talked about last time. Um, oh my
0: God. So we all lined up. <laughs>
1: we lined up on like we're Enneagram eights. We're Colby, what's the score? We're quick sorry, start. You know we're, both, we're both extreme quick starts. You and I both, you're a 10 extreme. and I'm a nine. Yeah. And that's a pretty big, yeah. big green line. Yeah. And we both have the ENTJ, which is a rare mm-hmm. MBTI for Mars briggs um, females. Did
0: mm-hmm. you know that? Yeah. Yeah. So we're like sociopaths.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that's why, I mean, like, honestly, what I've already said in this conversation would be offensive to a couple of people because like when you say like, oh, I, you know, I know I was a good looking teenage girl. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like I'm not a hateful person. So people who know me and people who know you, like they know I'm not an asshole unless I have. Right. But if I, if I need to be one, okay, I can pull that out of my back pocket. What do you need me to be today? Right. But I'm not, I'm not an asshole. Like. I right. I have a very generous spirit and I love taking care of people and helping people. That is my love language, acts of service. Yeah. And and I I'm not a horrible person, but no one likes to hear that you're confident. Yeah, um, no. unless you're co- unless it's your coach <laughs> and they're com- coaching you on being confident or whatever. But um, no one wants to know that you you know you're you're not a bad looking person or whatever. Now I'm getting some wrinkles and it, the body is definitely falling apart at the age of 47. So I'm I'm not a conceited person, okay? So that that's not what this is. But I'm just saying, like, if I make that statement, there's immediately people who won't like me because I said it. And there's probably some, there's some psychology terms that people will throw out, and you know, I, I honestly don't even know the definition of like narcissist and whatever else. I just. I'm fine with me. Like, I like me. I'm happy being me. You are clearly happy being you. We're, we're just confident in who we are and we're happy with ourselves in our 40s. And, you know, we learned a lot of lessons along the way that weren't super fun to learn and some more funner than others. But we're happy with who we are. So that's offensive to some people and they're intimidated by that. But if you walk into a crowd of people, you have no problem picking someone to have a conversation with and you're not no. going and you're not going to waste your time having a conversation with someone that you don't want to talk to. No. And some people find that offensive or intimidating. I know. Cuz that's that's a heck of a confident lady to walk into a party of strangers and walk right up and start a conversation with a stranger and you and I would both be comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And if there was somebody in the room who was giving off bad vibes, we're probably not going to give them very much attention because right. who wants to waste your energy on that? Right. But th- that, that is something Maybe that's, that's intimidate people. Maybe that's what it is, is like
0: owning your power is not necessarily, it's not narcissistic. It's not uh, arrogance. It's just, I know that I was put on this earth to, to shake shit up. Like I'm very confident that that has been my role, that I will say the thing that nobody else wants to say,
1: you know, you and- have a purpose. Yes. And you are driven by your and purpose. Even if you don't know the purpose, you're driven by the fact that you have a purpose.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. That's
1: faith-based. And that is not everybody's role. But it, thank God
0: that I don't give a shit because I'm not for everybody. There are lots of people that don't like me. They don't want to be my friend. And I feel okay about it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not for you.
1: It's because they're I'm, intimidated by you. That's, that's what it is. So... Let me ask you that for knowing your purpose. Do you think that's faith-based? Um, I don't know if you want to say, I mean, when you say faith-based,
0: what do you mean by that? Like Christianity?
1: Right. Like your spirituality. Do you, do you think the reason why you are driven by purpose or hope, um, is based on the fact that you have a strong foundation in faith? Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, but my, my faith is I'm a universalist, so mm-hmm. I would just believe in the universe. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't people break it down into different like bite-sized pieces. That's mm-hmm. what religion is seems like to be to me. Mm-hmm. And But yes, absolutely everything I do is because I'm connected to the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. And I feel very comfortable knowing that I'm being guided all the time and spoken to all the time
1: yes. by something outside of myself. Do you know what my favorite thing is? You're gonna yes. This is dorky, but you'll probably like it. So in case anybody um, is listening to this and you don't know, Rebecca is a fabulous painter, and she will tell you that she's not, but she is. And I used to be enamored, that's a good word for it, by her paintings. And you would do these really cool, like your choice of color, and strokes and even like the, the type of paint you used. And then you would incorporate in this beautiful script. Like you have really pretty handwriting and I honestly don't know how anybody puts handwriting on anything with a paintbrush. So I don't even know how you do but you would incorporate scriptures and verses and poetry into your mm-hmm. paintings. And it was so cool mm-hmm. because you'd read it and you'd think, how could any other colors besides the ones that were chosen for this piece of art even be associated with this piece of writing? It was like perfect mash, like just perfect. I love it. Yeah. And so it's like you were driven to create the art and I love art, but you were, you were driven to create it by inspiration, by the words or by the color and you matched it up so well and the strokes. And it was just maybe one day you'll make me a painting. (laughs) 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 I just, I loved your art. I think you should still do it. And that was, um, that left an impression on me because you had such a knowledge base of words, like you are a wordsmith for sure. And I do believe you should be teaching literature somewhere because that's your gift. And I've told you that forever, but you are very passionate about words and how they're put together and assembled and the inspiration that can be, you know, triggered by the words. And when you talk about them, especially the ones you get super excited about, it's it makes you want to go read something that you maybe prior to that conversation weren't that into. So that is someone who should be a professor. Just FYI throwing that out there. <laughs> and if, maybe someday. Maybe one day you'll be the next Donna Walker Nixon. But the 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 art that you put together I found to be inspiring but also I was a little envious of your knowledge base of scripture and of words that would make great art because that's not something that everybody has as well like you just knew how to put it together in an inspiring way um so you were blessed with a really good knowledge base with that you know because of your family yeah. and what they do but That is something that, you know, I oftentimes will try to find something and I have to kind of Google it or I'll pull up my John Maxwell encyclopedia book, Laws of Leadership, and I'll search for, you know, different um, pieces to to get inspired. But you just know it. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I, I absorb words. I do like words. You're right. Yeah.
1: You're super smart. So I think a lot of people interpret ENTJs as like highly intelligent and I never thought of myself as a highly intelligent person. So I keep scoring ENTJ. Have you taken it more than once? That's
0: really interesting that you don't consider yourself a highly intelligent person.
1: No, I'm I mean, say like I'm like halfway intelligent. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. But I was like a C student. I mean, like I just really never made A's unless I was really into the professor and I wanted to impress them because I liked them. I, was I think obsessed.
0: that has less to do with your intelligence and more to do with the social setting in which yeah. you studied.
1: Yeah. But and the top the topics. I liked I liked the writing and the literature and you know, I was okay at grammar and stuff like that, math and science. Blah. But when I got into journalism school, I, I really excelled because I enjoyed the topics and I found that I was good at it, you know. But as I'm I was never an A student, not until like my senior year of college. And then I, I did make Almost when I got my master's degree. So that was kind of exciting. That's right. But I was into yeah, the you projects, did. you know, so if you if you're into it, you make a better grade. But I wasn't I was OK. So
0: circle back to what you're saying. You asked about faith and if that informs. Who I am. No. or my confidence,
1: knowing being confident that you have a purpose.
0: OK, mm-hmm. do you feel that
1: way? Yeah. And guess yeah, I was going to tell you, so I was thinking about your paintings. That's why we're talking about paintings. You have to bring me back on yeah. topic. I know. Ping pong mm-hmm, ball. Mm-hmm. But every morning, this house we live in, we have a beautiful view. My son picked the house. There was this other house. It was a fixer upper or it was this one. And we told the kids, pick. We don't care. We'll buy the ugly house that we'll fix up. That was a shorter commute. Or we'll buy this other house. So we did the tour of the both houses and the kids picked this house. But it's kind of cool because we were definitely meant to be here. You haven't visited yet, but we have a really great view. And we have a great view from the front of the house and the back of the house because the neighborhood is like totally defunct. We had um, the development was built in 2008, right before the housing crisis. And so the bank, the, the developers went bankrupt. And so we have 13 houses in a neighborhood that has 400 lots. So it's kind of fun because we can ride and bikes and walk on the streets and not have to worry about anybody running us over. And there is a new developer who's coming and he's fixing it up. So we'll probably have neighbors soon. But right now, while we don't have neighbors, I have this awesome view from the front of my house and the back of my house because there's no houses around us built. And the view is uh, it comes up over the Savannah River. And that is my inspiration almost every morning, unless it's overcast. uh, The sunrise is so amazing. It is like hues of tangerine and bright yellow like fire yellow and purple and pink and it just glows like it's art and so every morning when I see that I think okay God thank you because you know you you work a hard day you go to bed okay I've got to get my sleep so I can go back tomorrow and be the very best I could be for my kids and my husband and my work and everybody who needs something from me right And it's hard to inspire yourself to self-inspire for that. And I know it sounds silly, but just like how how your artwork inspired, I feel like that sunrise every morning is an inspiration for me to remind me that there are some things that are just too perfect. And I, I am just inspired by the fact that I have the gift of even laying my eyes on that every morning.
0: That's so true.
1: Yeah, because... I mean, I, I might not wake up. I don't really think like that. I'm like, oh, tomorrow may not, never come. Like, I don't care if tomorrow comes or not. I mean, like, yeah, I'd like to be there for my kids, but I'm cool. I, I'm good. Like, I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I'm very, very yeah. secure in all of that in my faith. So for me, I just feel grateful that I get to see it. And then sometimes mm-hmm. the view from the back of our house when the sun sets is also equally beautiful, but the sunrise is more inspiring to me because I see it. And I'm not a morning person. I'm a really grumpy kind of morning person. So when I see it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, there you are. I see. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So um, I think you should paint. Gratitude
0: is what changes you.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. The,
0: the older I get, the more I believe that to be true.
1: Right. So are you going to date again?
0: It's going to take me a while.
1: Maybe you should just go. On I mean, and let me just be very like clear. Random. I'm hoping the
0: man, mm-hmm. I'm hoping he leaves his wife. Mm-hmm. Let, let's just be very clear. So that that's my hope. If that doesn't happen, then I'll cross that bridge when it comes.
1: Yeah. Would we'll just be you. Okay.
0: I'm going to, this was a great interview, but I'm going to stop it. It's been like 50 minutes. Okay. We can keep talking.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, Brandy. What, what do you think Dateline would say about you if you were killed? That's the ending of, of the podcast. Tell me that.
1: What would Dateline say about me if I was killed? Yeah. How would they describe me as a person? Mm-hmm. Uh, they would probably say mother of two from Savannah, Georgia. Worked at a dental office, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know what? That's a good question. Because what is <laughs> what is the legacy? What is the legacy we leave behind? Yep. Yeah, Nicole Nordeman. Uh, yes. Nah, <laughs> love that song. So, I would like. From-
0: you want your kids to be your leg- legacy. That's what you just said.
1: Yeah, I would want my kids to be my legacy. I mean, I, I don't okay. know what else. Like, I don't really, I don't work for money. I I do need to pay my bills and have what I need. And I like nice things. But that's not what drives me. I think I just enjoy doing a job. And if I'm needed, I'll be there. So, but yeah, Dateline wouldn't say any of that. They would be like, oh, she's a dentist wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That sucks. So- she was full of life and
0: she. That was a full of life. Very confident and
1: (laughs) she was a professional, very successful. They'd probably say I was the dentist. They'd probably say I was the dentist's second wife. And they'd probably make some kind of drama out of it. But no, you know what?